Hi, welcome back to Excited, episode 196. My name is Urban. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fooleman? I'm good. The haters said we were dead, but the haters were wrong. <laughs> any any news in the hockey media world in the last <laughs> week? Anything come last up? I can't weeks? remember. Uh, yeah, so if you haven't heard, um, Vox, which is the corporate overlord for the uh, SB Nation sports blog network, um, decided that they were going to demonetize most of their hockey sites, which is an interesting way of saying they were just going to stop paying for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, that included Pension Plan Puppets, which is sort of our internet home. Uh, you can recall from every episode, Arvin says, you can find all of mine and Fulman's stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. Which is now a bit uh, anachronistic because like neither of us have stuff on PPP besides this podcast at this point. Yeah, my last article was like eight months ago. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so we are less affected mm-hmm. than most people. Um, yes. There are some people who straight up lost their primary jobs. This is obviously just a hobby for us. Um, we did decide we were going to take a week to think about what we're going to do. Um you know, there is a, there's a Vince Lombardi saying that's the will to prepare to win is more important than the will to win. Mm-hmm. If this podcast were exclusively just us getting together for an hour on Sunday and like shooting the shit and making fun of the Oilers and it required no other effort, I could do that until I'm dead because it's always fun. Um, mm-hmm. It does, you know, but there is a certain amount of prep involved. And so we're just trying to make sure that we gear that in a way that's sustainable and we want to keep putting out something we're proud of. As long as we're happy with it. Um, we got so much feedback from people who said, like, we love your podcast. Um, we, I listen every week. Um, some people offered to pay, which is very kind of you. We aren't going to go down that road, but it's very nice of people to say that they would. Mm-hmm. Um, but we thought we would go bi-weekly to the end of the season because we don't want to do filler episodes where we're trying to scramble for stuff to say. And then we'll see where we go from there. Yes. Um, but for now, we are continuing. And that's... Uh, brings us to today where we will talk about hockey for the rest of this episode yep and we are going to talk about the most fun part of hockey not the game the game sucks <laughs> who gives a shit about the game we're talking about trades oh yeah you have players already on your team but you could think about players that could be on your team and uh speaking of our blog um katya who you know they're still writing over there until the end of february they're looking at other options. But Katja had an article this week about how they, the Leafs won't trade for um, a couple of the players we'll talk about today. And I still think they might, but yeah, you have to recognize the Leafs are going to get at most one of these guys and very possibly zero. It's a competitive mm-hmm. market. You know, just be prepared. Yes. But we're talking about the four biggest name forwards the Leafs could acquire. We've already talked about on this pod how we think a scoring forward or at least some kind of a you know upper six forward is where the Leafs should be looking. Right, and, and specifically today we're going to be talking about rentals. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Kyle Dubas hasn't always made use of rentals. His, I would say, the quintessential Dubas midseason acquisition is a guy with term. Mm-hmm. Right, um, did that with Jake Musson most most notably. Uh, he has used rentals before. It did not work out great uh, with Nick Foligno. Mm-hmm. Um, we were probably more positive on that than a lot of people. And it, yeah, like I still, I think the idea was sort of reasonable. I see what he was trying to do. It just did not, it just did not really work out. Yeah. And you know, Felino got hurt, mm-hmm. um, shortly after arriving. You can also say 
if John Tavares doesn't get hurt, the Leafs almost certainly beat the Habs, and then there was more time for the Felino acquisition to bear fruit. But those are all woulda, coulda, shouldas. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the big rentals today, uh, and then we'll we, we'll probably do a future pod. I mean, no promises, but like we'd <laughs> like to do a future pod on uh, the non-rental market and people who might be interesting there. There's been some reporting around Jake McCabe. Um, Connor Garland is someone who I kind of have my eye on in uh, in Vancouver. But we're going to start with uh, another Vancouver guy, Bo Horvat. Yes, Bo Horvat is probably near the top of the lists in terms of chatter for a rental forward. And that's because... Wrong things, even. <laughs> it's because he's scoring a hell of a lot of goals this year. He has 31 of them. That's good in 41 games played, um, if you want to do some back-of-the-envelope math. Uh, right now he's an expiring unrestricted free agent. So he's in the last year of a $5.5 million contract. The Canucks have not yet given his agent permission to negotiate an extension with acquiring teams. Um, that may happen as we get closer to the deadline. We thought we would look at this forward and see if he's a fit and maybe what he might cost. Um, so he's 27. He can play center or wing. If you get him, you're probably leaning towards putting him at second line left wing. I would think so. Simply because, simply on the, you know, following the maxim of if you have a good player, play him in a position where he will play more. Yes. Right. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have the Team Canada dream where you have four lines that are just going to clobber their competition. And that's a very nice thought. But at some point, you probably need to recognize that that's not a level of roster depth that you can get in the NHL. And so you probably want to put scoring forward Bo Horvat in a position where he gets to score. Um, about all of that scoring that he's doing, um, his next goal will set a career high at this mm-hmm. point in the season. So obviously he's on fire. He's shooting 22% against a career average of 14. And... If you are a hockey nerd like me, you already just showed a regression in your head. Because when I started caring about stats and stuff like that, shooting percentage was like the first thing that you were taught to look at. Uh, Arvin called it playing the classics uh, in our prep this morning. Um, is there any reason to think that his shooting boost, or some part of it, is real? Well, uh, you can certainly look at stuff that he's done with his game. Uh, there was a very thorough profile by Thomas Drance at The Athletic talking about how Horvat had reworked his game in consultation with Adam Oates and also changed his stick. Um, he went to a lower flex stick to get more of a whippy snapshot, and he went to a mid-toe curve, which supposedly makes it easier to hold on to the puck while you're on the rush without having to look down at the puck. So I think you can say maybe some of this is earned, you can also note that sometimes people find these stories whenever there's a shooting spike for any player and they talk themselves into it continuing. It's the same as the economics impulse to think that this one isn't a bubble and they'll just go up forever. But maybe some of it is legit. And even if it's just he's a 14% shooter, that's still good. And he's still right. a quite good player. Yes, he's, he's obviously a good player, but he's having a phenomenal year at the perfect time. Um, and it's worth noting, per- perhaps unlike one of the guys we're going to discuss, there is zero hope of retaining Horvat. So this is pure rental. Yeah. For the I Leafs. Mean, 
I should say as a caveat, unless you're willing to move one of the big four, probably Nylander. Right. Um, which I don't think is a great move. So I would agree with that. Uh, just to put another number on it, at five on five, Horvat has around nine individual expected goals and has scored 16. So he's like doubling up effectively. Um, yes. As we've said, he's like a good shooter generally, but not remotely in the range of double his five on five expected individual expected goals. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to note is that there is actual general, actually a general increase in the league-wide shooting percentage this year. Mm -hmm. um, you might have noticed there are more goals going in. And this is potentially the highest scoring season since 1996. So there are changes in the air, and I think some of them are improvements in shooters adjusting their release point and being better at shooting off the rush, I think. Um, I'm kind of whistling there a little bit. And so you can say Hova, uh, Horvat is part of a trend that is gradually raising shooting percentages across the league. But again, to nowhere near this extent. So maybe a little bit of it's real, but if if you get him, you just have to do it with the recognition that this is probably going to be the most goals he ever scores this season. And he's scored the vast majority of them for a team that is not yours. Like, like the fact that he has scored, what, what, what was it, 31 goals for Vancouver, like doesn't help the Leafs that much like the Leafs really just need to focus on any team that acquires him needs to focus on well what do they think that he'll do for the 16 games he plays in the regular season for this team and whatever happens in the playoffs yeah and not to pick on the guy because slumps like this happen to every player but he has one goal in his last seven games after being nuclear hot for the first half of the season again just a bit of a buyer beware thing all right enough about a shooting percentage um he doesn't drive play at like a super elite level He's good at it. He drives offense to a reasonable amount. He gives some back defensively. He plays against tough competition. So mm -hmm. he's going against top six lines. Um, and, and he plays with, uh, I think he's played a lot this year with JT Miller, who yeah. is a skilled offensive player, but is, is no one's idea of Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. And, well, I mean, first of all, yes. But also Miller's effort is perceived to come and go. I don't know how much of that is... Um, fair and how much of that is just people explaining when the puck does or doesn't go in but opinions on his reliability are not very high in the Vancouver market right now let's put it that way mm -hmm. um, Ho uh, Horvat's most frequent linemates are as you said JT Miller and Connor Garland although he's not with them right now uh, they've gone about even in expected goals while actually getting killed in goals together they have had terrible shooting it's when Horvat's with anybody else that his shooting has gone on fire so I don't know what you really infer from that. Um, yeah, he and Pedersen split tough competition. I think Horvat's is a little tougher, but they both kind of go power against power. Mm -hmm. That may change under Rick Tockett. Bruce Boudreaux was famous for being less concerned with the match game. Like he was like, I want to play my best players the most. Yeah. Which is not a bad idea, but it means that you, you don't hide anybody. Um, yeah, I... We'll say his defense the last couple of years hasn't looked great by isolates. Vancouver has arguably the worst defense group in the NHL. Mm. Like if it's if it's not there, it's it's, it's down there. Yeah. yeah, it's not great. It's Quinn Hughes and a bunch of guys who are not very good. Um, any thoughts on any of that? I just monologued for a bit. No, I mean, I guess I, I, <clears throat> one thing I've always sort of been interested with Horvat is that he had a rep early on, which I think was also informed by his pre-draft career of being like this mm -hmm. defensively responsible player. And it's never really been borne out in the stats. 
he's had some years like defensive adequacy, but like there's no situ there's no year that I can see based on the stats or by reputation or reading about him that suggests he he's ever really been an elite defensive player. Like what what he is, he's a, he's a very good offensive player, right? Mm-hmm. At, at, in his best seasons, he combines above average shooting as we've discussed with strong offensive play driving. Yeah, and again, I can't help wonder how much that's impacted by Vancouver being basically a bad defensive team. Yeah, for his whole but, prime. I mean, like, th- but... there, there's like this this there's this tendency to say, oh, you know, the teammates or like the, yeah. the system around him isn't good, right? Which could be true, but it's like part of the reason that Vancouver's not a good team because they don't have. It's because <laughs> if it, Bo Horvat isn't good enough defensively to like elevate people, right? Like that, that's yeah. at least in some part a reflection on him. In terms of, like, how it makes sense for the Leafs, like, in a vacuum, you know, you airdrop um, Bo Horvat onto this team. He obviously plays. He plays either first or second line left wing, whatever you want to call it. And the Leafs would be very, very happy with that. I just think for the assets that they would want, it's going to be a hard sell for me, especially because Vancouver is weird, and mm-hmm. they don't seem to really want a futures-based um, a futures-based trade package I, I i think when push comes to shove they'll take something like that yeah but like the reporting seems to suggest they want someone who will help them as early as next year in the context of the leafs that means lilligren or sandine and this will be a theme i'm a hard liner no lilligren and sandine unless i'm getting the term basically from a, from a player yeah i am a little bit less hard line about sandine in the context of a player we'll talk about later but i don't want to give him up Pretty much for anything. <laughs> That's a rental. Because Sandin is a good cost-controlled guy who can work on your second pair. Lilligren is all that, but he shoots right, which mm-hmm. makes him even more valuable. If the Canucks are serious about what uh, Jim Rutherford has been saying, and there's no reason to doubt him on that point, where they, when he says that we would prefer young players to first overall picks, even though they'll take picks too, um, Lilligren is really the only leaf that makes sense for them to target. Uh, right. The left side of their defense is probably locked up as Quinn Hughes because he's really good and Oliver ekman Larson because they can't get rid of him. So they would probably be salivating at the idea of getting Lilligren. If they say Horvat for Lilligren stayed up straight up, I still say no. I'm not interested in that. So I, I agree. Like it yeah. and this might it might sound ridiculous because like obviously Bull Horvat's a better player than Lilligren, but so yeah. the Leafs need players who we can be confident are going to outperform their contracts. Mm-hmm. Right, we just don't have that many of them, and we have very few of them um, that are. Like, we very few of them that we can be confident of going forward. It, you know, Defares is probably worth less than his contract is. We've talked about that signing before. It, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Nylander will outperform his contract. Matthews. I mean, I guess that it's it's an expensive contract, but he's one of the best players in the world, so that's fine. Yeah. Right. Marner, same deal. But the Leafs really don't have extreme value contracts outside of that. And we, we talk about this a lot, but you don't become a great team by getting, um, by paying people market rate. Mm-hmm. That makes you an average team. Yeah. yeah. You go in exactly in line with the market. And um, the most valuable deal that the Leafs have is probably Michael Bunting. And yes. that's about to end. So you don't have that for next season. And another very valuable deal the Leafs have is Pierre Engvall, at least the way he's playing this year also about to end yeah uh, you know and none of this is to say that the Leafs shouldn't be aggressive and i'm going to advocate for them to be pretty aggressive in mm-hmm. a later segment i'm just saying i don't know if horvat is the guy you get aggressive on one because 
There will be GMs who say, I think this shooting percentage is real. There will be GMs who say, it's a little inflated, but I don't care. And I'm going to put everything in the center of the table. Like, Boston is in a no-tomorrow situation, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really, really good. Um, but they can't count on being this good again, probably ever. Like, this right. is kind of it. And, that you know, Bergeron could, you know, probably play until he's a billion, the way he's going. But he may decide to hang him up, and then that's a very different team. So, you can say we should be all in. I'm not all in on this year to the extent of giving up a really good player who was on this team under cost control. So that means that if they say it has to be well, you're going to stand in the deal, that's a no. Um, there's some debate as to where you go from there. Uh, assuming Vancouver means what they say about getting young players, yeah, we're I think we're out after that point. But, I mean, unless they really like nick robertson are not, are not scared by the injuries i mean i think the reality is like nick robertson just does not have that much trade value at this point yeah very little um and not centerpiece of a trade certainly not um you know it, it's telling that all the reporting about the leafs like oh if they have to give up their prospect it's going to be nice not mm-hmm. robertson that i think that's suggestive of their their relative standing and it in, in as trade pieces league-wide yeah robertson is unfortunately down to being equivalent to a B prospect, I would say. There were already people who were skeptical that he would be able to survive with his style of play at his size. Um, again, I'm not saying that's valid or not. I'm just saying that that was the opinion in the NHL. I think and at this point, Robertson has like much more value to us than to other teams. Exactly. Yeah, and you know he's been injured so much. So at this point, like let's just try and rehab him and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, if, if he's getting a trade done and he's like the hinge piece for any of these players, I'm not too fussed about giving him up, but that's a good reason to expect that he won't be. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not that bothered about giving him up, it means that no one's that interested in acquiring him, likely. Um, I feel like I've rained on Horvat a little bit here, so I do want to emphasize he is a really good player. Mm-hmm. Um, he's no his doubt. ordinary height but he's like he's strong on his skates and he's worked on his skating which was considered a bit of a draft weakness um way back when um i think he's you know like he's a very good player and whoever acquires him will get better because of his presence probably in a significant way it's just i think one someone's going to pay for those goals and two someone's going to pay for extension possibility or they will just extend him before they get him if vancouver opens that door and I don't anticipate the Leafs winning either of those races in terms of, like, being the most desperate. You know, like, there will be a team who wants Bo Horvat more than we do. So, you know, by all means, knock on the door, see what the price is. And from what we hear, it's going to be insane. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think this is the right fit. Another thing worth noting, we're, we're, we haven't really talked about the cap implications of any of this at all. We're just sort of assuming that the Leafs would be able to fit any of these guys in to their LTIR pool. Um, they wouldn't be able to do so currently. I'm imagining there will either be some cap magic or the Leafs would have to pay extra for a retention. Which yeah. I'm just considering it's like a separate like throw in, throw in a pick of some kind. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Or, I mean, if they really have to unload Alex Kerfoot to a third mm-hmm. party. I that, don't think I mean, they're eager to do that. But no. Yeah. Because then instead of just getting, you know, this player airdropped onto your roster, you have like the diff of them and Alex Kerfoot. Yeah. And I mean, like Alex Kerfoot's like an average player. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's fine. 
<laughs> notably okay guy Alex Kerfoot. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I, I think I think people have a hard time calibrating to like average players, or they, they like are frustrating at times. And I think Kerfoot is a bit of a whooping boy to some extent. Um, Keith doesn't seem to love him, but he he seems to like him, and I think that's kind of the Alex Kerfoot story. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, Keith uses him. Yeah, but he, lot, he's like kind of on the fourth line. He is kind of on the fourth line now, and. When Matthews got hurt, his first instinct was like, maybe I'll just try Pontus Holmberg. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, I wonder if that was more of an experimentation thing. Yeah. Like, okay, I mean, let, let's see what Holmberg's got up here. Like, may, maybe there's some hidden upside that we don't know about. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I didn't watch all of the, the Senators game because of the work event, but, like, just based on what I saw of it, it didn't look like that potential was realized there. But it's one game, and the yeah. Leafs are pretty secure in a playoff spot. You, you yeah. do want to get home ice against Tampa, obviously, but... You know, I, I'm okay with some experimentation. Yeah, I mean, if there's something about your team that you want to know, now is the time to find it out. So, mm-hmm. fair enough on that. Um, yeah, so I think we've probably spelled out. We're kind of lukewarm on Horvat as an acquisition. I am a little bit more excited about this next guy. His name is Timo Meyer. He's 26. He is a left wing. As a note, obviously Horvat has the potential to play center in the event of injury or if you just want to stack your third line. Um... Meyer, you're not getting that. You're putting him on one of the top two lines on the left wing, period. Uh, he is uh, a $6 million expiring RFA. This was another one of those sting-in-the-tail deals that we've talked about where the money ascended over time, so it ended with a pretty big qualifying offer. And a qualifying offer is what you have to give an agent, uh, sorry, to give a player, uh, to keep him as a restricted free agent. Uh, in Meyer's case, it will be 10 million. So if you want to keep his rights, you have to offer him one year at 10 million. And then he walks to unrestricted free agency. So that puts him closer to an unrestricted free agent now than an RFA. Not all the way, but it gives him more control over his future. Let's talk about the player a bit though. He's really fucking good. He is so good. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's, he is probably the best player available on the market this year i think so i i, I can remove the problem i can't think of anyone better yeah a lot of people you you, you have to buy horvat as a, an insane super shooter and even then mm-hmm. it's like mm. um meyer is an absolute menace off the rush and he drives offense like a terror while also holding up pretty well defensively um if you think that the leafs need more of a rush threat uh that can just sort of bash its way to the the slot and shoot the puck a whole goddamn lot Timo Meyer is your guy. I think he's almost perfect as a player to put with John Tavares and William Nylander. Um, Tavares would probably become much more of a passing player. He has proven he can do that with much worse wingers than Meyer and Nylander. And even granted he's a bit older now, I think that would be a very fun situation for the old man. Uh... Meyer is running a little hot shooting-wise, but nothing like Horvat's supernova explosion. It's uh, two percentage points, so he's about 12.5 versus 10.5 on his career. Um, he's look, he looks like a heightened version of what he did last year when he finished with 35 goals and 76 points in 77 games. He shoots a ton. Mm-hmm. He's a volume guy. Big volume guy. He is the second highest shooter in the league right now in terms of raw volume behind David Pasternak. Um, Matthews is often on those lists and he's not far back. I think he's eighth, but Meyer is a gunner. Um, 
Myers played most of his minutes this year with Thomas Hurdle, who's a very good center, and he's played a majority of his minutes with Eric Carlson, who you've probably heard is having one hell of a year of his own. That said, I think he's still moving to probably a better situation. San Jose is still bad. Toronto is still good. And wherever they put him on the top two lines, he's probably playing with two players who have outscored Thomas Hurdle this year. So I think he's kind of perfect, and I'm swooning a little bit over him and making hard eyes at my computer, thinking about how we could get such a player. Yes, he, he is extremely good. He is also, you know, we were talking about his offensive capabilities, his shooting, all that sort of stuff. He is not a zippy little winger. Mm-hmm. He is six foot, 210. He will, you know, be kind of hellish on the forecheck. He is mm-hmm. strong. He hits actually like kind of a reasonable amount for a guy with his scoring chops. It's like like he, he would probably immediately be the most physical person in the least tops. Him and Bunting. Yeah. Uh, Bunting's more of a rat than physical. Yeah, Bunting is like, I'm going to shove something in your face and call you a bad name and then run away. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, if you're a person who thinks the Leafs need more size, then, you know, Meyer is, also satisfies that requirement. I don't think either one of us are those people... In, necessarily but like Meyer uses his size to become to be an effective hockey player yeah like that's really the important thing like I like that he goes to the front of the net and takes Mm -hmm. a hell of a lot of shots there and scores on them a lot that's a great combination and his size is a factor in him doing that so yeah like I'm down give me that shit um there's also the question of whether he's a full rental and so I have to do a little bit of a mea culpa here Mingo Leafs who is a listener Asked about Timo Meyer in the mailbag um, three or four months ago and said, hey, um, w- w- could, would we get Timo Meyer and could we pay his 10 million qualifying offer to keep him for next season too? And I said, yes, but I don't think you'd want to because of the price for the bottom six of the roster. And increasingly, I've come around to the idea of yes, and I'd try it. So... Yeah, so I was just going to say, you can construct mm-hmm. a roster with Timo Meyer on it for next year at $10 million that works. You end up with a very, very cheap bottom six. You lose Bunting, you lose Engvall, you lose Kerfoot. Um, even keeping David Kampf is a bit of a squeeze, and I think you end up doing something like Kampf, Holmberg, four guys on the par of Zach Aston Reese, or prospects from the organization. So... I get that that's a bit scary. You can run a pretty respectable defense of Riley Brody, Giordano, and Timmins probably as a third pair now, and then Sandy and Lilligren if you didn't give them up in the trade. And then your goaltender is whichever of Samsonov and Murray you prefer, and Joseph Wall behind. Um, that gives you a roster that probably works. Um, so you have to recognize you're paying a price for it, but you do also get him then for one playoff run and then hopefully a second playoff run. And then you can choose between Elander and Meyer in summer 2024. So I understand if you're, if no one's that keen on the price you pay, because there is a cost, but he's not a pure rental. Whereas the other three guys we're talking about probably are. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of land on the other side of this compared to you. Like that roster scares me it's a ridiculous top six if if Mm. you had that right but it is so so susceptible to any injury in the top six Mm -hmm. 
the Leafs have had a lot of injuries this year. They've actually kind of been lucky in that the injuries have not happened to the most important players on the team. Um, insert Morgan Riley joke here. Yeah. Until uh, now, obviously, Austin. Yeah, Matthews until now with Austin Matt. Yeah. Like, this, this is really the first time a Leafs top six player has, has missed a, quite a bit of time. And I think... I think it just sort of ends up being that, that roster ends up being incredibly high variance mm. um, in the sense of like you, you are really susceptible to any sort of bad luck that goes your way um, when it comes when it comes to injuries. It is very alluring, um, but yeah, it, it's unclear to me whether the juice is worth the squeeze there, especially if you have to give up one of Sandine or Lilligren. Yeah, and. I guess now that I've talked about how much I want Timo Meyer and what we could do with Yedem, now we have to acknowledge he's going to cost a lot. Right. Um, there are going to be teams that look to get Timo Meyer and sign him to a big extension instead of paying that qualifying offer. Mm-hmm. The New Jersey Devils are rumored to be in that discussion. They have they a, lot a lot of, of cap sense, flexibility yeah. going forward, and they would be locking in a pretty ridiculous big four of Jack Hughes, Nico Hishier, Jesper Bratt, presumably, and Timo Meyer. Um, that pretty much sets them at wing and center for like the core of their top six for like the next five or six years. Plus mm-hmm. they have Andre Palat. So yeah, like we might not be as able to accommodate him longer term. The Leafs could, like, yeah. Go oh, ahead. sorry, sorry. Like a team like New Jersey should be willing to like pay quite a bit to get him because that's like a ticket to, so I think I think Meyer would kind of be open. This is just pure speculation, my friend. I think yeah. Meyer would kind of be open to signing a long term extension with whatever team he he goes to this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the team has to be able to table competitive offer, and then Definitely. when they do, they have the advantage of having that competitive offer, having the eighth year, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. The Leafs can't really do that, or at least if they do that, it becomes like very obvious that Nylander is leaving, or um, like. It, I mean, maybe there's some way to retain both Meyer and Nylander long-term and keep Matthews and keep Marner. And, like, that, that's theoretically possible. The cap should be going up soon. Um, but that's, that's a tightrope. Yeah, I, well, I, I'm sure that some people looked at the cap sheet and thought, but we could ask John Tavares to, to waive mm-hmm. um, to do that. Uh, I don't know. We've well, talked about only, how that's probably not going to happen before. You only have to manage Tavares for, for one year, right? Yeah. So, like... Maybe you do sort of a reset year where it's like, okay, we're not going to be as competitive this year. Tavares signs for, you know, X million where X is a number less than five afterwards. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that frees up a lot of room. It, I mean, you could also talk yourself into these situations where you kind of, this, this is like a galaxy brain idea. I floated it with Fuleman yesterday and he politely was like, I don't know if that'll work, which means he actually thought this is the dumbest shit idea. Um, but I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> So the idea is you acquire Meyer, you sign him in the offseason to like whatever you sign, whatever the, whatever the appropriate contract is for Timo Meyer. It's going to be a lot. Like basically whatever you think William Nienander would sign for this offseason, give Timo Meyer that contract, right? Um, and then you trade Nylander in the same offseason ahead of his uh, upcoming unrestricted free agency. And the idea there is effectively you've replaced Nylander with Meyer but you have the advantage of having signed Meyer with a one-year lower cap, essentially, right? You have to you have to sign Elander for the cap in 2024. You you can sign Meyer for the cap in 2023. Yeah, um, 
there's an argument that that's a pretty smart maneuver. I don't think it'll happen. It's it, no. it's a lot. It's a it, lot of moving parts. It's a lot of moving parts. And also, if you're gonna do it, you get Nylander out the door before uh, July first, mm-hmm. uh, because that's when his uh, no trade clause kicks in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your willingness to indulge this probably depends a lot on how much you think the Leafs should absolutely go for it. And I think everyone agrees the Leafs are in a position to be aggressive. I would say, like, definitely you're prioritizing wins this year over wins in the future. By rental, we're talking about rentals, you're doing that automatically. But there are some people who say, hey, Boston is just unbeatable this year. Why don't we try and wait them out? And I don't think the Leafs have that luxury. I also no, don't think don't Boston think is unbeatable. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Austin Matthews has to sign an extension this summer. Or they have to walk him up and pray that he has, you know, like a last-minute change of heart at the airport or something. But, yeah. Um, as regards the price to acquire uh, Timo Meyer, that didn't, that wasn't intended to rhyme, um, I don't know that the Leafs can field the most competitive offer. New Jersey is probably nearer the point of being ready to let go of Alexander Holtz. Yeah. Who was I, his, I think yeah. Buffalo should also like kind of do what they can here. Yes. I was um, actually proceeding to them because I talked to friend of the pod, Sabres Kevin, and he is big on the Sabres getting Meyer and extending him. It would be sort of a nice, here's some help for the Sabres, who are in the thick of a playoff race, even if they might ultimately fall a little bit short. They're certainly scoring in bunches. Um, But also, it maybe sets up your team longer term. Meyer is young enough that it's pretty cool to acquire him now or in the future. You know, he suits a lot of people's timelines. So, yeah, I don't know if the Leafs could field an offer to beat those guys, especially since I don't know what San Jose's plan is. Even... If they, if they do this, they have to think about their long-term contracts to Logan Couture and Mark Edward Vlasic. And unless they find a trading partner, Eric Carlson. So I don't know when San Jose expects to be good, but they haven't done anything as publicly weird as saying we're not getting that many draft picks, even though we're rebuilding. Yeah, I mean, I feel like San Jose is going to be targeting, you know, the famous DGB term, the plickspect. Yeah. <laughs> the player, the pick, and the prospect. Yes, Exactly. <laughs> And so uh, I was talking with Sabres, Kevin, and it was kind of how high would you go uh, in terms of this? And the way he laid it out, and he knows uh, Sabres prospects much better than I do, obviously. But he suggested that, like, a top-of-the-market offer would be something like a first-round pick, Rasmus Endine, and Matthew Nyes. And that's at the level where I'm like, uh... But I probably do it. Over, <laughs> that's what I, it so I, I I don't. I, um, I don't know. And, and the main yeah. reason is because, and and you've mentioned this in, in your notes, and I know you're not you're not lying to this this downside. Is like, you know, in the world where you sign Timo Meyer to his 10 million qualifying offer, um, or 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 you extend him, mm-hmm. right, which has a host of other problems, um, but is at least theoretically possible. You know, Rasmus Sandin is a very important part of your team going forward because he's penciled in as your second pair left D. As a yeah. guy making 1.4 million, providing value closer to four to five, four or five, if he's you know succeeding in that role. Yes, and that's why I made that long creaking door noise as I contemplated this move because mm. it's not painless. And at the same time, I find myself thinking, well, 
if I'm only proposing trades that I find painless and I'm winning a bidding war for Timo Meyer, maybe I'm kidding myself. Because, like, they yes. aren't only going to want players that I'm okay giving up. And I'm probably less attached to Matthew Nyes than some people in the Toronto market. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I've... So, we talk a lot about how we don't really know about prospects. I have seen probably less than two minutes of Matthew Nyes' career. I've seen, like, maybe four 30-second goal clips, basically. I do not know much about Matthew Nyes. Um, there's been some articles discussing a bite by, I think, Chase McAdam, um, who does a lot of prospect comparable stuff, who, who's basically said that, like, Nyes seems pretty good, but, like, his production is not phenomenal for what you'd want from a, a, a player of his age playing in the NCAA. And, like, the Leafs shouldn't be that scared of trading him. And, I mean, I think... Many people will have more reasonable and more informed opinions about this than I will, but you know, there, there, there's that seems like a somewhat convincing argument to me. There, there are problems with it. Basically, whenever you talk about prospects and you do any sort of database system on them, you are dealing with points, right? And all the negative things that points entail, um, especially at lower levels, there's like huger differences in competition. Um, teams might not be playing players as much as, as others, right? This is often a problem when evaluating um, players who are playing in men's leagues overseas. There's different uh, leagues which have different, uh, you know, scoring environments. Scoring environments change year to year. Like, it, it's hard. To, all that stuff matters. Mm -hmm. And yet, it's, like, the best we can do in terms of data-driven analysis in, in, in scouting or, or, or in... Um, assessing large amounts of prospects and over large amounts of prospects i mean it tends to be a pretty decent rule that like if you are a if you are to become a good nhl player then you should probably be very very dominant at you know every level below that mm -hmm. um especially offensively like even players who do not become great nhl offensive players are generally quite strong offensively in lower levels the example I always give for this is Martin Marinson was point per game in, in junior. He played major junior in Canada. Yeah. Like there are occasional defensive defensemen who do not produce a ton in their draft year. I think Cole Pareko not. is like the most recent example of a guy who like just never really had high offense in juniors and became like quite good uh, defenseman at the NHL level. Yeah, there are a couple. Um, Jake Muzzin was another one in his draft year. I think mm -hmm. he spiked after. Um and I, <laughs> there was an article on the website like forever ago, and this was in the very dark ages of the Burke Nonus era, but there was a prospect called Petter Granberg and uh, he was a defenseman and he was getting talked up and like the Leafs prospect system was not all it should have been given how bad the team was in that era. So there was a lot of latching on to any prospect who looked like he might have helped the defense. And uh, he read it for our, a blogger a commenter for the, our site called Scrambles the Death Dealer, wrote a blog where he just said, this guy scores one point every 10 games. He will never be a meaningful NHL defenseman. The end. And it was like 200 words. And people got mad at it, but it turned out to be true in the case of Peter Granberg. It's a, it's a somewhat useful bias to have. Even though when a scout really tells you, like, I've seen this guy, trust me, he's better than his counting stats, that carries weight because that does happen. Yes, and that appears to be at least somewhat the case with Nyes. I mean, I've seen you know, Scott Wheeler, who is very, very biased towards 
elite offense. I don't mean by some negative way, just meaning he values uh, elite offensive players and prospects very, very highly, uh, typically. Has said that, like, he, he sees Nyes as a player with, who, who is almost certainly going to become an NHL player, has a good skill set that uh, is complementary to other, you know, skilled players. He mm-hmm. plays a power game, he gets to the net, he does some PKing for, um, for the University of Minnesota. One of the four goal clips I watched was a shorthanded goal, so I've learned that. So, twenty five percent of his goals are shorthanded. Yeah, which is which is something, right? Like that's if you um, run the math, that's just called modeling. Yes. So, anyways, this this is not this is not to become like a Matthew Nye's thing, but just that, like, I think there there's probably like a reasonable argument to trade him, and a reasonable argument that he is better than his counting stats make him appear. Yeah. But all of this is to say, um, I would be okay moving him for the right deal. And we're and my bar for the right deal is probably lower than like general Leafs fandom. Yeah, like I'll put it this way: when I evaluate this, I'm putting together two basic facts. Matthew Nyes is probably never going to be as good as Timo Meyer is now, mm-hmm. and uh, this team needs to be prioritizing present wins, which Timo Meyer helps more than Matthew Nyes does or can ever be reasonably expected to. To be clear. This thinking does not prevent me from making the next Forsberg for Erat deal. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's a real scenario where he blows up and we look kind of stupid. Well, but, and, and sorry, yeah. I, I keep interrupting, but yeah. um, the, you know, we, we talked a lot about how Lilligren and Sandine have extreme value for us because they can be, you know, decent second pairing guys, or at least have been effectively decent second pairing guys this year, making not that much money. I mean, in a world where you, you someone believes Matthew Nyes is kind of a middle six forward next year, or like an okay one, if he's like a league average player over his ELC, that's a ton of value as well. Yeah. It, yeah, and it's possible that's going to be where the Leafs end up on this. Like every bit of chatter we've heard from the organization is that they love this prospect. They're very attached to them. Um, you know, maybe it's just not in the cards. But if it comes down to, you know, I talked about that really painful deal where it's the first Sandine and Nyes. I'm more focused on moving Sandine out of the transaction than I am Nyes for the reasons we've talked about. Yeah. So, like, if they're more like, oh, well, maybe we'll take Topi Nimala or something. I'm like, deal. Um, so, yeah. Now, granted, again, it's not a painless price. And I know some people, it is impossible <laughs> to make a trade proposal where it is heard by your team's fans. And unless it's so lopsided in your favor, some people are going to be like, no, you have sold the farm, you absolute buffoon. Um, and I'm not as good at fake trade proposals as, say, Kevin Papetti, who who does this online, and God bless him, he, he sticks with it, even though people yell at him. Um, but I do think Timo Meyer is really a great fit for this Leafs lineup, and he makes them a lot better. And the fact that he's a rental plus one-ish... You know, plus either him or your ability to flip him on his qualifying offer. As a side note, if you give a qualifying offer and they take it, no trade protection. So you can do that. Um, yeah, a, a lot to uh, to contemplate there. The, the the thing is, like the the act of trading Meyer um, after signing his qualifying offer or, or trading his rights, like destroys your leverage. It's tricky. Right. So yeah. so you you yeah. won't. Like you won't get a lot from him, uh, or for, from from other teams in that situation, because they're like, okay, we have you over a barrel, right? And as 
you know, as we often say, and I think this is paraphrasing a Friedman quote, like when teams are, when teams like see a team in trouble, they're not throwing a life raft, they're throwing, they're throwing an anchor. Yes. So you have to be aware of that. Absolutely. And you don't know, I don't know the capacity to gin up a bidding war for a year of Timo Meyer at 10 million. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously not going to be as good as it was for a year plus. So, yes. yeah, I, I still think that it's something that's worth looking into, but it's going to be expensive and the Leafs may just decide that they're not going to play in that end of the swimming pool. One thing that just occurred to me now is, like, you could see a world where this gets vetoed at the level above Kyle Dulles. Mm. In the sense of, like, you know, the, the team and, like, MOSE and, like, Richard Petty or Larry Tannenbaum or whoever runs, whoever runs it can say, like, look, we don't know if Dubas is going to be here in July. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to hire someone else, like, hey, that takes time. We might not have, like, an actual... If we fire Dubas in, like, May, we might not have, like, the, our proper GM in June, which is when these decisions sort of have to get made if, if something like Meyer uh, mm-hmm. happens. And in that situation, do we want our first... The first thing that this GM has to do is to come in and extract themselves or to deal with this really tricky negotiating position with Meyer and with other teams where, like, we don't have much leverage. Like, do we just... Do we want to put ourselves in that position at all? Yeah. And it also lines you up to be negotiating with three major RFA, UFAs at the same time. In yes. Matthews, Nylander, and Meyer. So it's not... It's not painless. And it's not no. easy. I mean, this is also an argument, by the way, for, like... Give, if you believe Dubis, believe in Dubis, give him some job security. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, like, then kind of you should have fired him already to some extent. I don't know. Like, it feels like these decisions should not swing on such tiny margins. But anyways, that's, that's an aside. It, it also wouldn't, by the way, this is another thing. It, w- it wouldn't shock me if the Leafs actually are just kind of have a contract extension in place for Dubas and just don't want to, don't want to, um, don't want to send it out now ahead of the playoffs they want to wait until the playoffs are done but it's like kind of done and dusted regardless unless the leafs like absolutely flame out or something terrible happens whatever Hmm. like that that's that's a possibility yeah i mean you never know if they have a handshake deal right i i suspect i will say i think this is real i think they Hmm. actually are saying would i go home but i don't know could be um yeah so this kind of decision depends a lot on how all in you really are Mm-hmm. And that's a decision that each GM would have to make for himself. I think the Leafs are in, like, let's do it in terms of going for this for anyone who isn't really a pure rental if they really make the team better. You know? I, like, I'm prioritizing the next two years with this move. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we have uh, two more St. Louis Blues. Yes. So the first is Ryan O'Reilly. Um, so Ryan O'Reilly is 31. He'll be 32 when the trade deadline hits. His birthday is in like a week or so. Uh, he can around, play, really. yeah, he can play uh, center, and he has played left wing before, mostly on like stacked Team Canada rosters. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he's consistently been one of the best faceoff guys in the league. And coaches would rather like kill themselves than have a 56% faceoff guy not taking faceoffs. That's what he's for. Yes. Um, so he is uh, getting paid $7.5 million this season uh, and is an expiring UFA. Oh, one thing to note with, um, with Meyer, Meyer's salary this year is also high. 
um, like his actual raw salary, it's like 10 million this year, even though his cap hit is, is only 6 million, which might make retention a little bit like, you might have to pay a little bit more because it's more it's a more of a cash outlay for the team doing the retaining. Good point. Um, the opposite is the case with, with Ryan O'Reilly, I believe. I think he, he's not making um, as much as his, as his cap hit this season. He has a more standard like back diving um, cash or back diving salary structure. Um, counting stats. 10 goals, 6 assists in 37 games played. Not phenomenal, right? That's less than half a point per game mm-hmm. for someone like Ryan O'Reilly who is, you know, while he's, you know, made his bones on his defensive chops, he, 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 he's consistently been above that before. Another thing, Ryan O'Reilly is currently injured, and I believe on LTIR, his last game played was New Year's Eve. Uh, this is reportedly a broken foot, and it was to be reevaluated six weeks after the injury, which would indicate mid-Feb for when it gets reevaluated. If he came back in mid-Feb, and remember, it says reevaluated in six weeks, not he will return in six weeks, mm-hmm. he could play a handful of games before the trade deadline. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky situation with, with O'Reilly right now. Right? He's had a down year. He's currently injured. He, you might get five, six games from him. Um, in between him coming back from injury and the time where you make a trade. If the market is already somewhat heated for him, don't you think the Blues keep him out, though? Like, unless it's totally dead and you need to showcase him to give proof of life, and you're in the Blues position, I'd say, like, I don't bring him back. i say he's healthy, but I'm not playing him. Oh, I, I, I think Ryan O'Reilly will, like, throw a fit if you do that. He will, but, like, he's on the way out the door, man. I, I don't... He'll be mad so... for a week, and then you flip him. Right, but, like, I... I... So there's been lots of talk about... They were possibly talking extension as well. Mm. There's been some reporting about that. And, like, you know, they give the standard, like, okay, you know, there's been some dialogue, but not, you know, not a ton going on. Armstrong has said, oh, we want to, like, he's made kind of a bit of a show of saying, we want to do right by this player. He's our captain. He led us to a cup. We want to con Smythe, right? Like, we, we, we want to keep this, rela- we don't want to make this relationship acrimonious um, at all. Yeah. Uh, O'Reilly has said, I want to stay in St. Louis. Like, I want to be here. I like it here, yada, yada, yada. Um, He's, he also has no no trade protection, meaning he can be traded anywhere. He has no say in the matter, right? Yeah. So, um, I also... Th- oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know if this means anything. He does come from Clinton, Ontario, which is a southern mm-hmm. Ontario municipality. So he's at least aware of the Leafs, whether he likes them or not, because there's been some <laughs> indication that I don't think he liked them, but not a Tavares yeah. situation, but... Yeah. Right. Um, so the thing with... The other thing is that because he's had a down year... I think teams will want to say, like, will want to see him in action before the trade deadline. I, mm-hmm. So it's possible you're right, and that might be the right thing to do. But I haven't seen any indication that they would hold him out until the trade deadline to protect him from further injury. A- everything that I've seen reported suggests that he, they, it, it, it makes it seem incredibly obvious that they will want him to play before the trade deadline. Yeah. And this is mostly yeah, stuff from, um, from, oh, I forget, I forget his, Andy I forget the, the beat writer's name on the athletic. It's, it's, I was going to say Jim Rutherford, which is, it's not Jim Rutherford, but his last name is Rutherford. Rutherford. Yeah. Um, anyway, so my apologies for that. Um, okay, so, I mean, O'Reilly is older than the two people we've talked about thus far. And he has had a longer and, frankly, more storied career than either of them. We know what peak Ryan O'Reilly was about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest thing was elite defensive impacts. He won the Selkie in 2018-2019. Uh, Selkies are always trading indicators. You can tell this because Matthews has been getting a lot of love for his defense this year, which has been worse than his defense last year. 
Um, but people are really reacting to his defense last year, which was like his first really, 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 really elite defensive season. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, you know, O'Reilly probably deserved a hit at some point in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a reputation as a great defensive player, and that has generally been borne out by the stats. His offensive play-driving impacts in his career have also been strong. He does this against top competition. He takes lots of face-offs. He wins lots of face-offs, plays every situation. He has all the leader, winner, cup winner, you know, Team Canada winner, Grart, doesn't play with a visor or juice that you could imagine, right? Yeah, like he's he's a third-line center for Team Canada. He's a first-line center for an NHL team, if he's what he was at this point, which he probably isn't, but... Yeah. Yes, yeah, and that's what we're getting <laughs> to. So he, he, offensive, in terms of style of play, he has actually always been an above-average finisher for his career, um, which is not something that gets talked about a lot because it's kind of the... Tyler Bozak style of good finisher. He is a pass-first player who shoots when he has very, very good chances. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, generates as many individual expected goals from it as Alex Kerfoot, who I like to use as a, as a benchmark for Leaf fans. <laughs> the Kerfoot line. Yes, exactly. And like, if you look over the course of his career, his individual like shot attempts per minute are the same as Ryan Getzlaff's. Another mm. very, very pass-first player. Oh, yeah. That guy was assist, uh, an assist machine. Yes. Um... In terms of style of play, I mean, a lot of us have seen O'Reilly, but just to, you know, the thing that always stands out to me is kind of how he makes up for his lack of foot speed. He is not a great skater. He has always seemed kind of slow and choppy to me, but his passing and like ice mapping and his physical strength make him kind of like a bit of a menace in the offensive zone, pretty good on the forecheck, um, another takeaway demon. I, I looked up, like, takeaways over the past uh, three or four years or so. And he, I think, ranked within the top ten alongside people like Matthews and Marner. And Nylander's, like, in the top 20 as well. The, like, this is a kind of, this is a thing the Leafs do a lot. And I think when they're playing really, really well, what I think of with the Leafs is an absolutely demonic forecheck that mm. takes the puck away, immediately turns it around, and then uses their skilled players to create high-level high chances. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like his, the other thing worth noting with O'Reilly is he is, his superpower is really like creating territorial edges for his team, mm-hmm. right? Like he, as I said, turns the puck over a lot. He is excellent by, um, at preventing new uh, defensive zone exits from the other team. So you can think of that as a four checker. He is excellent at, in the neutral zone at providing pressure and making sure that the other team does not get into their, into his O'Reilly's defensive zone with control. Those are, those are the defensive traits that we think of, but they also greatly boost his offensive game because it means he, kind of his team just always has the puck in the neutral offensive zones. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so he, and he's been less good at offensive transitions, like move, moving the puck himself from his own zone to the neutral zone or neutral zone to offensive zone. Right? His, his abilities are really like on the defensive side in a way that boosts both his defensive and offensive stats. Um, and worth noting on the offensive front that like his teams have outperformed their XG with him on the ice in each of the last five seasons, excluding this current one. Mm-hmm. So basically he's, I, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. No one here is like, you know, I was on the fence about Ryan O'Reilly's <laughs> career. I didn't think he was that good. Everyone knows he's really good, right? Over the last five years, he's like tied with um, John Tavares in war per minute of time on ice. And he's 24th in total war um, between two guys named Kucherov and Crosby. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and he's also been a total workhorse 
He plays a ton of minutes, as I said, plays every situation, uh, and has been incredibly durable. This broken foot is actually the first kind of major bout of missed time in the last five years. Yeah. Ryan O'Reilly is like a fringe Hall of Fame candidate. Yes. Like In conclusion, like there are not many players who have done more to help their team, especially at 5-on-5, five five, in the last five years or so than Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. But... You know I am sensitive to Ryan O'Reilly's career achievements. <laughs> yes. Um, is he that guy? Is he yeah. that guy now? And that, that's the fundamental question when it comes to Ryan O'Reilly. Is he that guy? Yes. And, you know, uh, again, we can, we can talk about everything that he brings. And the idea of Ryan O'Reilly coming to this team is so appealing. It's you know? absolutely salivating. It, like, it's perfect. The guy who can get it done in the playoffs. Con Smythe winner. Selkie winner, good offensively, tough, absolute horse. Like, if I were a hockey writer, I would have just broken out in shivers of excitement. Well, and to that point, Pierre Lebrun uh, has, has said, like, oh, here's five trades I would like to see happen. One of them was O'Reilly to the Leafs. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, if, if I talk about, like, the hockey medium, like, just in general, I think I'm mostly just saying Lebrun in different words at this point. <laughs> But... Le- Le- you know, like the famed like median voter in politics. Yeah, Le- LeBron is the median hockey writer. <laughs> He's like, okay, this is a bit, a little bit mean. But do you remember Perd Happily from Parks and Recreation? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of who I think of LeBron. <laughs> the story of this trade is that it's ongoing. You know, like anyway. Um, but yeah, like um, Perd Happily is right about this one. Ryan O'Reilly would be a really appealing get for those reasons modified by how much of that is he now right because you are not necessarily getting peak ryan o'reilly mm-hmm. um he's currently injured as discussed earlier we're going to just kind of ignore that injury and say okay any team trading for him needs to get assurance of this i assume he comes back fine it's a broken foot which feels like it's just kind of i mean i say this as a not very tough person but it just feels like okay the, you know the foot heals you make sure it doesn't reset and then you're good yeah right um but he's also having a poor season by his standards his offensive stats are, are quite poor, the counting stats that I've talked about off the top. Mm-hmm. Um, a low PDO is largely to blame. He's getting hosed both on his teammates shooting, hence the six assists, and also on goaltenders making saves when he's on the ice. That said, his play driving has a little worryingly taken a step back as well by the numbers. And this is like a bit of a problem in the sense of you know, the worst case scenario here, not the worst case, but like a bad scenario, is you are paying for Ryan O'Reilly, elite offensive and defensive impacts guy, tilts the t- puck in your favor, you're always in the offensive zone, good passer, all that stuff. But if he's Ryan O'Reilly, pretty good play driver. That's a, that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. That, that's a big difference. Yeah, and you wonder how much is the price going to be governed by, here's Ryan O'Reilly, fringe Hall of Famer, Versus mm-hmm. here's Ryan O'Reilly, pretty good hockey player, as he may now be. And if the price is closer to his past than his present, there's an argument the Leafs should start stepping back from that conversation. I don't know where the market is on Ryan O'Reilly. Like, a lot yeah. of this is my guessing based on his achievements and name recognition and the fact that most hockey players think of him very fondly. I assume most GMs do, too. So from the reporting that I saw, which was a lot of like LeBron and um, you know people from the Athletic, I think there was actually an article on the Athletic that that went through. You know, he, here are some possible uh, you know trade packages from from the Leafs for for Ryan O'Reilly, and 
it, they were basically all centered around like the, the fundamental issue seemed to be is nice included or is someone else included mm-hmm. so it's like it's a fir- the first round picks a given yeah you, you give the first round pick that's like 25 this year i don't yeah. don't really care about that i mean i care about it like it's nice to have that but like that that's kind of the the table stakes for anyone worth a damn Right, and then I think the question is essentially Nyes versus uh, I don't know. Pick your your favorite or least favorite, least lower level prospect. Yeah, um, and it sort of depends on uh, again what the market is. If it can be one plus an A prospect, or if it's one plus a B prospect, and the Leafs A prospects at this point are pretty much Matthew Nyes. <laughs> like, yes. I mean, everyone else is either a ways away or a step down. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I think I remember, I don't have the article in front of me, but I think one of the, the things the article said was like, uh, maybe on the lower end, it's a first plus Fraser Minton. Yeah. Who, you know, is, is interesting and mm-hmm. could be a good player down the line, but is also further away. Right. Um, and again, you know, we have to talk about the, the position of the acquiring team and this will apply to, uh, both to Ryan O'Reilly and to the next conversation topic. I don't know where the blues are in their team life cycle. It looks like they're kind of like, this is the point where you would like to start liquidating um, some of these contracts, but they are heavily term committed to a lot of guys. Right. But uh, the guys they're term committed to, well, actually, no, like it's Krug is one of them. He's like kind of on the older side. Look um, at their defense. Like that's yeah. where it is. Like the, I'm not worried about, you know, big deals to Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. Yeah, those, those were good. Those are good. But like yeah. the defense, it's yeah. They they have like Robert Bortuzzo, don't they, or something? Uh, they they are really really committed to Justin Falk, Tory Krug, and Colton oh, Pareko. I forgot about Falk. I I, I watched yeah. the game between Colorado and St. Louis yesterday, and like five times I'm like, huh, Justin Falk's here. <laughs> he just keeps reappearing. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just keep forgetting about him. Yeah, they love locking up their defenders to term deals at six point five million, and mm. yeah, they've got these three guys for five. They've also got Nick Letty, who signed by four to four by four. When yeah. Nick Letty signed, I was honestly like, I thought he was like thirty eight. Like I thought Nick Letty was pretty much dead, and it turns out that he's still playing and will be for a while based on that contract. So. The only reason I remember that Nick Letty is there is because. I was super confused by Steve Eisman paying a second for him, and then he like traded him away for a second. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. I guess like that was just his value. <laughs> it, uh, like my visualization of the Nick Letty thing in Detroit was that like a merry-go-round passed by Steve Eisman, and he took Nick Letty out for one cycle, and then he put him right back on the horse, and then it spun around again. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, it's just to say, I think St. Louis has some incentive to try and stay good. And Mm -hmm. the more you're thinking, I want to be good in a year or two or three, rather than four or five, that pushes you towards, I want more NHL readiness. Um, Maybe you are more interested in more certainty, Mm -hmm. like a guy that you know could play now. I mean, Pontus Holmberg is no great shakes, but like maybe... Hey, last I checked, he has a higher five-on-five point rate than Connor McDavid. That's actually (laughs) probably not the case. McDavid's been heating up, but like this was true as of two weeks ago. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I believe your tweet said you got to ask the question. And you know what? I think you do. I think you yeah. got to ask the question. Um, I mean, going back to O'Reilly, you know, I mentioned some of his very gaudy uh, goals and wins above replacement stats over the last five years. The thing is, if you narrow it to like the last three years, he mm-hmm. basically looks like kind of an ordinary top six forward. 
Mm. right? As opposed to, oh, this guy is like one of the 25 best players in hockey over the last five years. And the Blues are tricky to evaluate because especially over the last two years, they've been a team that gets outshot pretty heavily and uses like rush chances and counter punching and their bevy of elite passers, of which Ryan O'Reilly, you know, has been one, mm-hmm. um, to outscore their XG. And it, it, it's worked under Brube. And this has been kind of a change that, as far as I can tell, has happened, you know, slowly after their cup win. Mm-hmm. And it's possible, and people are saying, uh, you know, Blues fans and, and media, that like, O'Reilly just might not be a perfect fit for that, right? If, if you're talking about a guy who is... Who, who might struggle a little bit with leaving his own zone, but is very good at preventing you from getting there. You want him in a very territory, territorial system, one that will make use of his ability to prevent other teams from getting the puck into the opposing team zone, or into his own zone, rather. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think the big thing that I find difficult is that it's very hard to separate out the coaching effect from Ryan O'Reilly aging generally, because there's a very logical and you know, sensible story of Ryan O'Reilly was very, very good, and then he turned 28 and 29, and then he just is still good, but is just not quite as good as he used to be. And that is a story that is thousands and thousands of players long, right? Mm -hmm. Not everyone is Patrice Bergeron. Almost no one is Patrice Bergeron. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's perfectly reasonable. The thing about Ryan O'Reilly is that he is so appealing that, like, let me put it this way. If the price is like a first and like a very ordinary prospect, like that's do it, that let's every say Minton. Let's say yeah. Minton. Or like or like Minton, yeah. Like I think you just you just do it. Like he's still a good enough player that you still want everything he can bring. It's mm-hmm. just gonna be a question of how far does it bid up and when do you have to say no, I'm getting out of the auction. I I think it might be cheaper than you think or i think there might not be as much of a bidding war as you think there w- there w- there will be um this could be totally wrong you know I, i'm certainly not i'm not plugged in in any sense but yeah I, I all the reporting on this has seemed to suggest and like the fact that he's had a down year and that he's injured i think all these little fringe issues like eat at his value a little bit and might yeah. make it based so that like a first in minton is like kind of a reasonable offer and no one's going to go that far above that like it might just be eye of the beholder depending on the prospects that they like instead yeah that's reasonable and i definitely think the injury it makes me worried i think it would make anyone worried well yeah i mean i I think it it would just be good to get a bit more data on him this year right see him a bit more this season and i think this is one where your pro scouting it really has to has to do a solid job for you here if your team scouts are saying this is actually still the same guy that he was in 2019 and 2020, mm-hmm. right? Like, he looks the same. His micro stats are the same. When we track him, he's, like, doing the same way. He's moving as fast. He's, you know, doing X, Y, and Z the same way, however they assess these things. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, okay, this might just be a coaching issue or, like, a system issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Leaf system actually seems kind of perfect for O'Reilly in a way because he is a very good passer, he is someone who, as we've said a few times, excels at preventing teams from leaving the offensive zone and leaving the neutral zone with control. He does force turnovers. That's what the Leafs love to do. Mm-hmm. And when he is in his own zone, he is a solid in-zone defender as well. Yeah. I mean, 
it's very, very easy to talk yourself into this deal because yes. there's a lot to recommend it. Right, like we barely even talked about the fit because it's kind of like so obvious that it would be good, even if there's like some awkwardness mm-hmm. in the sense of, well, he's a center and then we probably want to play him left wing or maybe you move Tavares to left wing, whatever. Um, but like O'Reilly is one of the most versatile players in the league. Yeah, like, and I have to tell you, it's not that hard to, to, to meet the defensive responsibilities of a left wing. Um, he's obviously got the offensive capability to do it. I think that would be fine and it would work itself out. The only thing that I wonder in terms of this cycle versus rush debate that we always talk about is I think as you become more reliant on one, you become more vulnerable to the other to a certain extent or more limited. The Leafs seem to give up more rush chances against um, than more teams because they're passing around the offensive zone more often and every now and then that happens... Uh, like the Tim and Storiley pass that got cut off by Pasternak a couple weeks ago. You know, like you just give up a certain number of really good chances that way. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if having more of a rush threat, like say Timo Meyer, um, might be helpful against opposing cycle heavy teams. So it's just a question of, do you want to diversify or do you want to lean into what you already are? Mm. I think Ryan O'Reilly like, he's a good player. At a certain point, you don't overthink it too much, and you say, like, let's get good players and add them to yeah. the team. I mean, my, my thinking is the biggest difference between Toronto this year and last year is that the Leafs haven't really been as good defensively, and that's been actually, like, really concentrated in the Matthews minute. Mm-hmm. Now, some of this is just due to Matthews plays more with Nylander this year, has played more with Nylander this year, mm-hmm. um, and Nylander's simply a worse defensive player than Mark. I think yeah. we would all agree with that. Um, but, like, if we believe our priors on O'Reilly... He should still help the team's defense, right? Like Micah McCurdy's model has him as worse defensively than this this year than last year because he's had bad defensive results this season, mm-hmm. um, although good offensive ones in terms of play driving. But still, because you know he has such a long history of Ryan O'Reilly, elite defensive player, we should still think he's a good defensive player. Mm-hmm. And the question is just, well, how much do you believe that? And then if that is the case, that might help the Leafs at like the thing that they are worst at. Exactly. Right, which is like pushing teams outside of their their own defensive zone and being solid once they are there. This, yeah, exactly. The other advantage of this, this lets you be really, really versatile in lineup construction, mm-hmm. right? You have a lead, you can play him, Kampf, Marner as a shutdown line, which is a shutdown line that also has some threat going the other way. Yeah. Right? You can use him situationally for face-offs, for face-off get-off situations. You can, he immediately becomes um, probably your top PKer. Like he might, your top PK unit might become Ryan O'Reilly and Marner, as opposed to Camp and Marner, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he insulates you to injuries, all that sort of stuff. A lot of his value is not derived on the power play, which is kind of helpful because we don't care that much about power, uh, someone's power play ability. Yeah, we, we already have the assets to play there. And something that I do want to emphasize, you've already um, been getting at this. You know, we talk about the top six being very offensively oriented and the bottom six being more defensive. And I did say, look, most of these players, I think I'm going to, are going to end up at second line left wing, but you can have transition shifts mm-hmm. or mixed lines or situational arrangements where you do make use of the fact that Ryan O'Reilly is a really good center. Um, and that's not an option you get with Timo Meyer. So, you know, that, it, that isn't nothing, even if I don't think that it's the main way he would be used. Yeah. So, I mean, what, a, uh, I'm broken record. It just, it just comes down to how much do you believe O'Reilly is what he was before, yeah. and like, if you believe he is what he was, if you believe he is like 
95% or 90% of what he was in 2019 and 2020. Then this becomes really attractive because his last couple years have like low, presumably lowered the asking price of it because they have been a little bit worse. Mm -hmm. This year lowers a little bit more and like all these things that are bugged become features to you. Yes. Um, And I did want to emphasize, you pointed out at the start of the segment, he makes a very low dollar value. Mm -hmm. It's actually $1 million is his base salary. He got Mm -hmm. $5 million paid out in a signing bonus that will have already been paid. Um, They're almost always on July 1st. I have heard some variations. I haven't heard of any of them that are still unpaid at the trade deadline. So if you have to pay for double retention to fit his cap hit, which is 7.5, it's presumably a lot cheaper for the Arizonas of the world who are not shelling out much of anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so... I think there's one more player, and he tempts me a little bit, but I know better. I guess <laughs> is how I would put it. Yeah. yeah. So this is the other St. Louis player, Vladimir Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. So also 31. He's a right wing. $7.5 million uh, as an expiring UFA, full no trade clause, 10 goals, 19 assists in 36 games played. This does not include the game played yesterday. I don't think he had uh, any points in that game. Yeah. So, yeah, he's also having a down year relatively. He was injured for the last month, has just recently returned to the St. Louis lineup from that injury, which was a hand injury. Um, he has not scored since that, which, I mean, again, little little concerning, but, like, it's three games, which is a totally normal amount of time to not score. I, I'm less interested in Tarasenko than basically anyone else we discussed, to be honest. Mm. And uh, yeah, he, he, it's mostly because... I just don't think he is as good as any of these players anymore, and he's still going to command like, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. He was a real menace during his peak, right? He had a combination of elite shooting, elite shot volume, and great offensive play driving. Um, but yeah, I just don't really see the fit here. I think all the awkward stuff about, you know, oh, maybe Horvat has to move to, to left wing or, or Roddy does or whatever, it's like magnified with Tarasenko without like the upside. Because he's a right wing, not a left wing, and he's a left shot. Um, and a big part of his game is cutting in from the right onto, into the middle of the ice with a good angle for his left shot and shooting from there, right? Mm-hmm. And this matters more in transition than it does on, in the offensive zone. In the offensive zone, the Leafs and many other teams basically don't have very rigid positions. Uh, but it matters in terms of transition. So maybe you move Nylander to the left wing, which he has played before, I think, I don't know if this is borne out, but I feel like every time I see Nylander play left wing, he is worse at transitioning the puck, which is like a problem because that's his main offensive skill. Mm. Right. Um, Intuitively, it makes sense because as a right shot, he would be holding the puck close to the ice. By the way, just before we move on with this, it occurs to me that if uh, Ryan O'Reilly or the like is on Arizona for like a minute, Mm -hmm. uh, the salary actually doesn't matter very much. So I got in my own head thinking about cap hits. So I apologize for that little segment. Um, With regards to Rosenko, yeah, what stands out to me is that he at one point had, like, the deadliest wrist shot in the world. Mm-hmm. He was legitimately just terrifying. It was like an assassin's bullet. It's just like, boom, you're done. Um, and we've seen Matthews do that to opposing teams. Same sort of thing, except Tarasenko seemed to get almost everything behind it without even having to move. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, beyond that, it's like, one, are, you're not getting that guy anymore. And two... That's, like, that's pretty much the whole locus of his skill. Yes. 
he is no longer as strong an offensive play driver. His defensive numbers have cratered over the past couple of years. Again, maybe that's a coaching thing, but like with O'Reilly, his numbers have gone from elite to above average, but not phenomenal. Mm-hmm. With Tarasenko, the play driving numbers have gone from in his peak elite to this guy is awful defensively. Yeah. And yeah, I, like he's had a bunch of um, shoulder injuries. He has a hand injury now that he's just recovered from. There's been times where he's like lost his shooting touch in part. People have attributed that to the shoulder injuries. I, this is just kind of a stay away for me. Like the, the cost is probably going to be a first plus a prospect. I just don't have interest in, in Tarasenko at that price point. Yeah, I think you can say this is probably a no. Um, Tarasenko has a new trade clause. Mm-hmm. He made a trade request famously uh, a year or two ago. I don't know if he's rescinded that in any way or indicated a desire to stay, but it doesn't sound like he's looking at an extension. So they should flip him, and he can to some extent choose his destination. Um, maybe he says, I'm only going to go to the Toronto Maple Leafs because I love them for some reason. And the price ends up being so low that it's sort of appealing. But I doubt it gets down that far based on name recognition. Yep, okay. I, I agree with that. Um, so, I mean, of these four, how would you rank them in terms of, in terms of desirability for the Leafs, factoring in the, the likely cost and things like that? So, first, Timo Meyer, second, Ryan O'Reilly, third, Bill Horvat, fourth, Vladimir Tarasenko. I think I basically agree with that. I, I, I think, I feel like I have Meyer and O'Reilly kind of tied for, for one. There's mm-hmm. like, I think reasonable arguments for both. It's just, the Meyer stuff is just so tricky. That's like a, that's just such a tightrope you have to walk on the cap side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's like, it's kind of dangerous. Um, the O'Reilly one's kind of more standard in a sense. I think there's like a pretty big gap between either of those two and Horva, and then like a cataclysmic, cataclysmic gap to Tarasenko. Yeah. Um, the only thing you can say is how is it going to scale the price? Mm-hmm. And because all of these players are well-known in hockey, um, in several cases have scored a lot, uh, I don't see any of them getting drastically undervalued. Mm-hmm. And, and again, obviously, if Ryan O'Reilly or Tarasenko, I assume it would be one of them, have dropped way more than I think in price, um, then that changes things. There's a level where the price to get Ryan O'Reilly is so cheap that he's, I'm more interested than I am in paying the full price for Timo Meyer. I just don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. I think that's everything we, we wanted to discuss today. Um, so you can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensionmanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. I'm, I'm keeping that outro. I don't care. Okay. Uh, <laughs> just I can't as long think... as we're clear on that. Yeah, I'm keeping that outro. <laughs> Um, all right. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fluidman. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all again for, for the kind words and the mm-hmm. support we got uh, in the wake of this. I mean, I, I think the, the, the most important things, like if you, if you care about this sort of media, um, we are fine. We, as Fluidman said, we are lucky that this is a hobby for us. And if we stopped it, it would be disappointing. But like mm-hmm. our lives are not materially impacted in some ways. But support. Um, the people whose writing and whose work you enjoy and especially those you know for whom it is like an important part of their of their income and of their livelihood and that sort of stuff like you know the sad truth of the matter is that nowadays media is just a very very tough road to go down in terms of having having a, a career that can provide you you know real money and 
really the only way to fix that is for readers to support the publications and the people who they, they want to see continued content from. So, um, yeah, we appreciate all the, all the kind words. You, your money should not go to us. It should go to other people. Yeah, we, and, we are very flattered. We are not asking you for your money, and we will not accept it. Yes. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that, that's basically all we want to say. So thank you all for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.